I do get to hear some of these songs around the house, and uh, if you're fortunate, they get stuck in your head. Uh, it's good. Those are good songs to have stuck in your head, because you could have sillier songs stuck in your head. Um, I, as I confessed, I love to make playlists. If I know I'm going on a trip, I just like, oop, time for a new playlist. I know some of you are like me. It's okay. We're, we can have a club for those addicted to making playlists. Um, but even as a kid, I remember when my dad got me the, um, he got me the CD player, uh, and I know some of you don't know what a CD is, that's okay, um, but he got me a CD player that also had a cassette tape player, too, and so I would leave the radio on, and for those of you that grew up in Atlanta, you knew Star 94 and you knew V103. These were the two stations that you could listen to. V103 was like my favorite station of all time, and, uh, and so I would just leave it on in my room. And so as soon as I heard a song that I loved come on, I would just like sprint out of the living room, run back to my room, hit play record at the same time because you have to hit them at the same time to actually record what that thing is playing. And I would knock my mom over. I would knock my, my brother and sister over because I needed to have that song on my cassette tape. I know for some of you, you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, uh, but you like Spotify, you like Google, you like your iTunes playlists, and you, now you have it easy. It's just dragging things. That's easy. That's a great gift. Um, but if you open up, um, like if I open up my Google Play, you can go ahead and show that real quick. You can see they have recommended playlists. Being romantic. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Like, let's play this. Uh, boosting your energy so that you can go break up and then you cook and then you dance and then you daydream. I don't know. There's just a long list of like these services exist so they save me the work of actually putting the playlist together. I hate that because I like putting playlists together. Um, and my favorite playlist of all playlists though is my guilty pleasure playlist. And this is really my just driving around alone in my car playlist. Um, we put a hidden camera in my vehicle, and uh, here you go. So. Never gonna get you up, never gonna let you down. Wake me up, come, 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 Show me how you feel. I'm proud of us, and it's all because this is how we do it. You are my fire. Gentlemen, you know you know the words. I gave it like a wrecking ball. I've got the eye of the tiger. Now you wanna be free, so I let you fly. That's why I want you to know. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything I want? There you go. So, 
No judgment, folks, because your playlists are worse than mine. I know that for a fact, all right? But I would be a good travel companion. I make good playlists. And, um, I did leave out the, uh, the 15-hour Jesus Culture song, because uh, that'll get you anywhere you need to go. Just one song, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, lo- I love them, too. But um, as we're looking at the idea of the traveler in the Wander Love series, um, we're looking at what we pull out of our travel bag. And I know some of you, you could tell us about your last adventure traveling by the book you read. And so for the Christ follower, in the very same way, there is a book that determines our journey, and that is God's story. It's found in the scripture. We talked about the, the creation, fall, redemption, new creation, and what he's doing from cover to cover and the beautiful story that is God's that we find our lives described and wrapped up in. And then last week we talked about the hashtags because when you're traveling, you're always hashtagging your photos on Instagram because you want people to discover these things that you are up to. Well, the Christ follower has very real things that we want people to know about us. And that is that we are people marked by the teachings of Jesus. To follow Jesus, to come to Jesus according to his own words, is to get into his yoke, which is to be connected to Christ. He is the vine, you know, we're the branches, and he's the one who's carrying the heavy load. But it doesn't just mean to come to him for our burdens to be carried. It means we're coming to him to teach us. That implies that there are things we don't know about who we are, why we're here, why we exist, what we were made for, where this all is headed, and we need someone to teach us. This week, through the scriptures, believers are marked by a very specific song. And to talk about these songs that, that, that we're journeying with, it starts in, in Israel. I mean, obviously... You read the scriptures, right after Egypt is rescued, the, 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 red, the, the sea splits. It says there's a song that they sang together in Exodus chapter 15. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The psalms, they're full of songs to sing, but they're also full of the reasons why we sing. Psalm 33 says, sing a new song. I love that, of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy, for the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. So why we sing is because of who God is. The scriptures make that clear. We're not singing for any other reason. Where we sing, it's a response, it's what we do. Uh, the, the scriptures also warn us about the types of songs we sing. Proverbs 25 says, Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. So there's a reason we don't like it when you joyful people sing happy songs to us who are not. It's like vinegar in a wound interesting that how much song is connected to our story. The Christ follower's song is one of words. We praise, we give thanksgiving, we make declaration. These are all because of the words that we say. We say these things because of who God is. That's what the scriptures teach. In the Old Testament, the musicians that sang and played instruments in the temple, did you know that was a military move. 
It was a military decision. It wasn't just like there were a couple of worship guys around going, that's a good worshiper, that's a good worshiper, that's a good worshiper. It was actually a military move. When the military would move out into battle, do you know who was on the front line? The skinny jean guitar players, man. They were the ones walking out. Lord, I lift your name on high. Woo, what? Come on. I did not sign up for this, man. I thought I would shred my whole life. And now I'm out on the front line and I'm shredding for the Lord, I guess. I don't know. But the, the beauty of when, when, when Israel would go out, they were not to be trusting in their chariots or their strength. The beauty of putting the worship leaders on the front line was that they were saying, we trust in the Lord our God. He is the one who will give us victory. He is the one who will defend us. He will protect us. He will provide all that we need. So it was, it was symbolic that they were saying, God is our God and he is our king. And that is why we march out first and not the military. Even today, the songs that we sing are truly acts of war. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but when we sing, we are actually reminding ourselves of who God is, what God has done, how he fights for us, what he has already finished, his promises, his goodness. In fact, we are singing the new song that the Lord has put in our mouth. We worship through our words because our hearts are forgetful. We worship through our words because we need to say these things out loud. We live in a day and an age where all we want to do is talk about us, but the Christ follower song is one that is sung that declares his strength, his plans, his power, his holiness, his majesty, his gifts, his cross, his blood, his resurrection, his empowerment, and his return. This is the new song that we sing. But I think for us to be able to sing the new song, we have to be fed up with the old song. And you guys know the old song, don't you? The old song, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. You guys can finish it because you love that song. The flesh loves that song, right? You can tell everybody that I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Like, it's amazing when most pop songs sound like Dr. Seuss books today. But they're the old song. They're the song that we love. We love to sing these songs. I, I do it for the applause, the applause, the applause. I, I do it for the applause, 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 applause. Right? Like, that's our song. Like, that's the old song. And we love that song so very much because I am so fancy. You already know. Like, this is the old song, and we love this song. This is the song that we're like, I want to sing that one. But we won't love the new song, so we're fed up with the old song. See, it's natural for us to love the old song. Like, it's, in fact, when we come in on a Sunday morning, it's natural for us to go, I don't really want to sing that song. I don't really want to say those words. It's normal for us to go, I'm struggling with saying that. Because there is a war going on in here. A war that we're going to wrestle with until we enter into eternity. And that is old song or new song. 
And the flesh loves the old song. So don't be surprised when you come in here and it's really hard to raise your voice and declare God's new song. Because that's the battle, isn't it? As we look at this, the new song begins to show up as we behold Jesus. That is how the new song is stirred. It is not you going, I'm going to force this new song into my mouth. No, it's actually the Lord has put a new song on our lips because He is who we are looking at. He is who we are seeing. He is, is, is who we are wanting to know more because if He is who this story tells us of, then we want to know that. On a Sunday morning as we travel, we start our services with worship. And I'm going to be honest with you here. We don't do worship first thing to cover the tracks of the sounds of people coming in late. That's not why we do worship. We don't do worship to cover up the noise that's coming in 10, 15, 20 minutes late. We do worship because when we walk in here, the weight of the week has followed us in. It is on our shoulders, the doubt in our hearts, the fear in our lives, the anxiety we walk with. The reason we begin with worship is because we have to know why we're here and who we're, we're here for. Like, it is not a space filler. It's not a time filler. It is one of those things where, we're, where we get dependent upon the 20 minutes of noise so we can get our food and our drink and get our kids in and everything. Rather, it's a time to just go, no, I need this. So I get here 20 minutes early so I can be as loud as I want to before we go in and fight for our hearts. That's why we play. That's why they stand up here. That's why they consider what songs to sing together. It's not group karaoke. It's not just for hearts to go, I love singing together. It is going to war for our very forgetful hearts. Songs of the faith sung out loud. These are acts of war. Going to war against our hard hearts and the old songs that we are addicted to. Songs of self-reliance and self-worship. The worship songs that we declare with our lips actually change our hearts. There's a transformation that happens in a way when we sing, that can't be done any other way. But make sure, though, the Christ follower song is twofold. One of words before the Lord and deeds before our neighbor. If God is who he says he is, there will be an overflow from the Christ follower's life, not just of lip service, but of real acts of service. The Christian song isn't just about lyrics. It's actually about our lives. And I know that this kind of confronts American Christianity and our huge desire for the perfect worship experience. It's why, it's why we're addicted to going to gatherings and worship services that have all the loud music and all the big speaking and all the things and all the lights because we're looking for experiences that will give us what we want. It doesn't necessarily mean it translates to service and love for our neighbor, though. We get our fill, and we move on. This is how American Christianity works. I got what I needed. It may or may not benefit anyone else, though. And as a Christ follower, 
That's not the song we sing. The song that we sing, when you go to a, when you go to a live show, if you go to a performance, you are not content with the band sitting on the stage and just playing like they played their CD. And I mean, you don't know what a CD is, but a Spotify playlist or uh, an iTunes list. Like, man, they sound just like they do on my iPhone. That's amazing. No, we go to a live performance because we want the other, right? We want the extra bit. We want the performance. We want to walk out of there going, they brought it. Like, I can listen to their CD. I can listen to their playlist anytime. I can listen to artists like them anytime. But man, to go and see them live, to see them perform their guts out, that's what we want. We want to see, we want to see their faces straining. We want to see the sweat pouring off their face. We want to see them jumping all over the place because we were just like wrapped up in what we're seeing. It's why we love the live music experience. And it's not to compare Christ follower's life to a performance, but our life really is our song. Like what America is used to is, is Christian lip service coming in here on a Sunday morning and then walking out, getting what they needed, and no one else knows the hospitality or the welcome of God. No one else sees the love or the friendship of Jesus. We got what we needed, so we're gone. That's not the song the life of a Christ follower displays. My voice will not be the only thing that worships God. It cannot be the only thing. Jesus did not say, I hope that you love that song with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you are to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love the God of the song that is declared that we sing together in the morning? Do you love the the, the Jesus that is described as the one who rescued and the one who knew and the one who died and the one who rose and the one who's returning? Is that where your love is or do you love the catchy tune? See, this goes deeper than it just being about the words or the instruments. God never intended it to remain about words or instruments. Jesus said that what is most important is to love God with everything we have and to love neighbor as self. Paul said that we are to present our bodies to God as living sacrifices. I hear it said all the time, I don't, I don't really need the church because I can worship in nature. I don't, I don't need the church because I can worship God at the beach. While I understand this sentiment, because Jesus has opened the door to the Father, and it's not about location. But what I have seen in these statements is a small view of who God is. It's about my personal connection to God. That's all it is. It's about my personal connection, so I can get a personal connection anywhere. But if that's not what Jesus is saying, if he's saying you're to love him with all that you are, and Paul says in Romans 12:1, listen, and so, dear brothers... And sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. This isn't, hey, give your body to God, then he'll do stuff. No, it's all that he has done for you. Give yourself to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Listen to these words. This is truly the way to worship him. When we make it about personal connection, rather than presenting my life, I need to have Jesus' words inform my thoughts on him and what it means 
to worship him. This understanding is not just for the person who may, do, may not go to church regularly, the one who's always skipping because they like nature. And it's not just to inform them. It's actually to inform the one who comes in on a Sunday morning and is here every Sunday and loves every song and loves everything, but then Monday through Saturday lives because they have a personal connection to God. This understanding informs everyone who takes on the name Christ follower. It's not just for some. The Christ follower says, because of all you have done for me, here's my life. I'm not compartmentalizing any of it, God. I'm not fragmenting any of it, God. And if there are areas in me that I have not handed to you yet, you have to show me because I don't know how to do it. Every part of me worships. The song that we sing is more than words, but doesn't go without them. Words matter. The songs we sing matter. In Acts chapter 16, as Miss Sue was saying, Paul and Silas, um, if you've never read the book of Acts, I'd, I'd encourage you to. It is the story of the Holy Spirit sending his church out, and it's why we're here today. It was God's power that propelled this message all over the world. And I, 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 it is a fascinating story to read through, to go, this is why we're still here today talking about these very same things, the person of Jesus. They have just introduced a woman named Lydia to Jesus. She's the first person that trusts the message of Jesus in this area. Uh, and directly after this, they're on their way to pray, and they come across a demon-possessed slave girl who is serving as a ventriloquist dummy in way to a demon. And these men who are businessmen find a way to capitalize off of this girl's torture and torment. And they actually use her to make money for themselves. Because in that day, even the, from the illiterate all the way to the very well-educated, they loved trying to know the future especially if they were starting a new venture. So they would go to oracles, they would go to uh, fortune tellers, all sorts of things. And so these men knew that if this girl could speak things out loud because of the demon that was living inside of her, they would make a fortune. So not only was she enslaved to this demon, this evil presence, she was enslaved to these evil men who cared nothing about her and only to make money. She follows Paul and Silas around and just will not stop saying, hey everyone, these two are servants of the Most High God. They're here to tell you how to be saved. Over and over and over, she is making this declaration. Now, what she was saying was true, but it was vague, and it was coming from an untrustworthy source. <laughs> See, every little God that was announced and declared in those days promised salvation from something. They did. Little gods. Uh, do you need financial freedom? Trust this God. Do you need out of a poor relationship? Trust this God. Do you need blessings on your new venture? Try this God. Every God promised salvation. And what this demon was doing was shouting these vague things of, you know, they're, they're coming here to tell you how to be saved and Jesus' name wasn't mentioned. So, so whether or not Paul was just frustrated, I don't necessarily know if he even cared that she was demon-possessed. He was just annoyed. And he turns around, looks at this girl and says, in the name of Jesus, out! I don't know if Paul cared deeply for her or not, but I know Jesus did. I know Jesus cared greatly for this young lady, and she was immediately restored. Immediately restored. So there's some power with Jesus' name over all these little G gods. Jesus' authority being ultimate 
not these little tiny gods offering some kind of rescue, Jesus being able to provide ultimate rescue. But this was bad news for the men making a fortune off of her misfortune. They grab Paul and Silas and they drag them before court officials. They tell them that they're causing all sorts of trouble. And so with no trial, no investigation, and because mob ruled that day, I mean, man, you talk about mob rule and you talk about the way we live our lives in this country, it is unreal. But because the mob ruled that day, Paul and Silas did not get a trial. In fact, they were severely beaten in front of everyone. And after they were beaten, they were taken to a prison and the jailer was given one job to make sure that there was no way that Paul and Silas would escape. No possible way, so he takes them into the inner dungeon He locks their feet to shackles. He does not show them medical attention because all he's cared about is the task he was given. A very strange result, starting in verse 25 of Acts 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. This is a very strange and confusing response. The other inmates would have heard all of these things being sung. But if the Christ follower's song really does matter, the words we sing really do matter, and if our life is marked by worship, then we should be singing these songs mostly in times of suffering. Like, not just in times of good, but when we suffer, we sing these songs out loud. Now, I don't know the song that they sang, I don't know, it's not recorded for us, but maybe they returned to a psalm that they knew. Maybe it was Psalm 43. Why am I discouraged? Right? Like, why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. I love the word again. It means I'm returning I'm doing what I know, even though my emotions and my feelings and my attitude and my circumstances, they may not reflect all the things that I want them to, but I am going back to the well, the well that I know sustains. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. They turned to singing. When you don't want to sing, it's probably the time you need to sing. It's just how the soul works. It's just how the heart works. In those times when you don't want to sing, you probably need to start. You probably need to return to the psalmist and be able to say, why is my heart so downcast? Why am I discouraged? But I'll return. I will praise you again, God. Because I know your faithfulness. I know what you have done in the past. While in darkness, both physically and spiritually, the songs that they found comforting were not of their greatness, but of God's. They didn't start to plan their escape. They planned to praise. And that's fascinating to me. Like, they didn't start going, okay, all right, so here's what we're going to do. Come around. Uh, Silas, you move over here. I'm chained to the ground. I can't move. Okay, well, that, that plan's not going to work. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump the guard when he comes in. I'm going to pretend that I'm sick, and I want, you to ju- I want you to jump. No, they just planned to praise. And that's where they went. 
they left it all up to God. And that is what praise and worship and the words that we use declare we're doing. God, we don't understand why we're in this mess. We don't know why this is happening. We're not sure that we're going to make it out. So we're going to leave it in your hands and we're going to do what we know what we're supposed to do. And that is to praise and declare and thank you for who you are. And sometimes that's all you have. That's all you got. But something happens in us when we begin to do those things. Singing songs of faith is an act of war against all that is coming against our hearts and our minds. I know for a fact that there are some of you in this room that have heard the phrase, give up this week. I know for a fact that there are some of you in this room that have heard the words, there is no hope this week. I know there are some of you in this room that have thought about the walk with Christ that you are journeying in right now, and the thought has come to your head and your heart, just give up. You want to know how I know? Because I've heard all three of those voices this week. Guys, the enemy does the same thing to everyone. His schemes are the same. And if he can convince you to live life without Jesus, he's got you where he wants you. This is why we will praise him again. Singing songs of the faith is retelling of God's greatness to save, his ability to destroy strongholds, his ability to get people from point A to point B. God, you said you'd get me from here to here, so I'm leaving it in your hands. Verse 26 starts with suddenly, though. I love that it starts with suddenly. Because... When Paul and Silas were singing, I don't know that this was on their radar. I don't know that they were asking for an earthquake. But verse 26 starts with, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Guys, that is the most specific earthquake I have ever read about in my entire life. It shook the foundations, flung doors open, dropped chains off. There you go. Not only do things shift in us when we begin to sing, but there is actually a war that God fights on our behalf in and around us. The atmosphere actually begins to change as his people engage in declaring who God is. Prayers and songs going to God, and we don't do these things because we think it's, it's our strength. We actually do this together because we believe it's God's strength. We're desperate for him to move, for him to show up, for him to change lives, for him to bring freedom, for him to do what he does, and that is restore. Bring people to life. Waking up the sleeper. That's all his to do. God flings the doors of freedom wide open. He drops the chains off of the prisoners. An amazing picture of what God does in Christ as well. Acts 16, 27 and 28 says this though. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. This is where the gospel makes things strange. Because if Paul and Silas had gone, our freedom's here, let's go. This is the American Christianity we love. 
because I got what I wanted, right? I got what I wanted. I got my fill. I'm out. They stay put. This is the strangeness of the gospel because the gospel cares about freedom. And I don't care just about my freedom. I care about the freedom of others. If, if I'm going free, I want others to go free. If I'm going free, I want others to know what it means to have chains dropped, shackles released, prison bar doors open. I want people to know those things. And the gospel causes that transformation in us. If I'm not about a gospel that answers that question, I will be selfish. I'll see that door open. My freedom's here. So long, suckers. I'm gone. See, Paul and Silas sat. They stayed. And for this jailer, rather to even check everything out, for him the only exit was death. Rather than to know the ridicule of failing at the one job he had, he would rather end his life. He was tasked, though, with an impossible job because the God of the universe had planned their escape and no one thwarts God's plans. See, it doesn't matter how skilled the jailer is. It doesn't matter how tight the shackles are. It doesn't matter how good the deadbolt on the lock was. It doesn't matter how deep into the dungeon you were placed. If God says freedom is coming, freedom is coming. Like, that's it. No one stops that. Not even the most skilled jailer. Not even the heaviest chains. Not even the biggest shackles. Not even the greatest iron door. No matter how deep into the dungeon you may find yourself, if God says freedom is coming, freedom is coming. And that is what we are reminded of, both in our words and our deeds. The songs and prayers that Paul and Silas had sung in the dark comforted their hearts. But here's the deal, folks. Because their hearts were comforted, they would provide comfort. Guys, this is how the gospel works. When we find comfort, it is because we are to be used as instruments of comfort. And if all I'm about is my comfort, I have fallen prey to some idol that I love more than the Jesus of the scriptures. Acts continues, verse 29, The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Along with everyone, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in this household. Even at that hour of the night, I love that, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Freedom had presented itself. Paul and Silas could have run. They could have said, God has set me free. I'm out. When God sets us free, we long that others will also be free. So whose freedom are you most concerned about? It's a big question. It's a transformative question. The jailer's question was very specific. He said, what must I do to be saved? Now, we don't know if he was referring to the demon-possessed girl. You know, people hear when a demon-possessed girl is just following godly men around and announcing things. 
She was saying that these guys are coming to tell you how to be saved. Maybe he was referring to that. Maybe he was referring to, I'm going to die. Like physically, they're going to kill me because these prison doors have swung wide open and, and I'm done. So how can I be saved from that? Like, is there any way? I mean, Paul and Silas could have been like, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to, you need to get your cart together. You need to get your family together. You need to flee in the dark of night. And then you'll be, you'll be saved. No. They turn and they make it about Jesus. Everything they do points to Jesus, not run out with us. But you really want to know what salvation looks like? It is to know Jesus. It's to know what he's done. It's to know that he is God's full plan revealed. It is to know that reconciliation with God and with humans is possible because of Christ Jesus. To be saved. And I know that we think that that's such a churchy word and we hate to use it. But it just means to be rescued safe and sound. Like, and that's what we want. That's why we put our trust in anything and everything else. Because we're hoping we'll find salvation in it. This will save me this time. This will save me this time. But when we use it with Jesus terms, it's like churchy. No. It's everything. To be rescued, to be set free, to be made whole, to be released. Jesus is not a combination of, of, of lucky rabbit's feet that I throw out there that maybe this will save me this time. It's actually to come to Jesus, as he said to us in the scriptures last week, to get into my yoke, because it's light and easy to bear, and to let me teach you, because I am gentle and humble at heart. That's what it means to come to Jesus. But did you see what happened to the jailer? He finds life, and he's not only satisfied about it for him, he takes it home. I would have loved to have been there for that conversation. Like, can you picture it? Like, the jailer comes home, and he's bringing Paul and Silas with them, and he's like, honey, honey, wake up. Honey, I gotta tell you something. Honey, you gotta, you're never gonna believe. Who are those strange men in our room? Oh, that's Paul and Silas. They're awesome. But I gotta tell you this. There's this, you know how I'm a jailer, right? Yes, we're very proud of you. You know, but I'm a good jailer. Like, I do, I do the jailing better than anyone else. Like, they put me in charge of the jailing stuff, and I... I put these shackles on these men. They were super, super tight. They were the tightest I've ever done any shackles. You know, Paul and Silas, I'm really sorry about that. I should not have done that. We forgive you. But I, but I did it. I did it really tight. Like I put them on super tight. Yes, we're very proud of you, honey. Uh, no, but they were really tight. And then, you know that inner dungeon that I talk about? That's like an amazing inner dungeon. And I would hate to be thrown in that inner dungeon because it's the inner dungeon and it's deep down in there. I put them in that. You know, Paul and Silas, I'm really sorry about that too. I should not have done that. We cool? Yeah, we forgive you. But honey, I did it. I put him in there, and it was crazy. Cause then when I was with the the dungeoning was done, and there was you know how I like to doze, and I, I fell asleep, and there was this this earthquake, and it shook everything up, and then the chains fell off, and they got the dungeon doors open. Even though I'm like the best jailer in the world, honey, we're very proud of you. You've said that many times. But I'm the best jailer. And then Paul, Paul, come here. I know she's sleeping, but just come here. Talk, talk to my wife. Get to that part. Get to the good part. Okay, tell him about Jesus. Tell her about this Jesus. Tell, get, I would have loved to have been there for this story. Because if we know anything, I'm sure wives love it when their husbands bring home new friends, right? <laughs> like at that hour, like that's the beauty of this story. Because it's at that hour, this strange hour, Paul didn't stop with just talking about Jesus. He shared the story with them, but the jailer's transformation in this moment is a reflection of the song that we sing. A new song had been put in the mouth of the jailer, 
and now their one-time abuser. Can we just agree that not to treat them medically, to treat them poorly, to treat them harshly, their one-time abuser had seen the welcome of God, so he welcomed Paul and Silas. He showed them hospitality. The jailer praised God and welcomed people. The jailer praised God and served people. Paul and Silas praised God and served people. The two are greatly connected. And here you have the base of the new church that's just formed. A a businesswoman, a demon-possessed girl, and a brood of a jailer. Here you have the unlikely hearing the story that changes everything. As we close this morning, praise, thanksgiving, and declaration. Us being reminded of who God is only fuels us to lay our lives down. In fact, if it does not, we are missing the gospel. Like we can use the term gospel-centered, gospel-whole, whole gospel, gospel, all that. We can use that, but unless our lives are, det- are, are, are a reflection of what we believe through our words and what we believe through our actions, we actually miss the whole good news. To those of you in this room, and I'm speaking to you directly as I can, to those of you in this room who have made Christianity all about saying a few words to God or about, about God going on your way and with your plans, I'm asking you to reconsider. I'm asking you to reconsider what the gospel actually means. I'm asking you not to try and make some hybrid story. Some, I'm going to sing some of the old song and some of the new song. That's not what I'm asking you to do because they don't work. To say, I'm going to sing some of the old and some of the new, it just does not work. In fact, it causes confusion in your life and in the life of people around you. I'm asking you to know what it is that God is looking for, and that is for a people who will worship him with their entire lives. Because what matters most to us is what God finds acceptable, and that is a life surrendered to him. And secondly, for those of you who have seen Christianity that is nothing but lip service and it's repulsed you, you're right to be repulsed because God never intended for it to be lip service. In fact, most of Israel's struggle in the Old Testament and our struggle even today is that it is about lip service. Isaiah chapter 29 says this, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. There you go. There are your words. They honor me with their lips. There they are. There's their mouths. But their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned learned by rote. See, we can repeat this thing all day long. And we can learn a pattern. But unless it sinks in, and becomes why we live and breathe and serve and love and give, then we will learn some kind of rote routine and it will become about lip service. The Christ follower's song is more than words, but does not go without them. The Christ follower's song is not simply good deeds, but does not go without them. In both word and deed, the new song that the Lord has put in our mouth strengthens our hearts so that we may lend strength to our neighbor. See, I'm so thankful for time of communion together where we take this bread and this juice. 
Because, folks, the bread and the juice reminds us that our words and our deeds do not determine our salvation. Our words and our deeds don't, if we're good at them or bad at them, it does not determine our salvation. You see, the bread and the juice is a reminder that our salvation has been determined on the cross. It's done. Our words and our deeds become a reflection of what we believe has already been done. The bread, the juice, the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us. This is not me saying, God, look how many words and deeds I've done this week. I've done so many. No, this is me going, thank you that in my not having done words and deeds this week. Thank you for in me putting my trust in my words and deeds this week that somehow you're better than my words and deeds. This bread and this juice becomes a constant reminder in the life of the Christ follower that it's finished. And it is in that declaration, it is finished, that our words and deeds start showing up everywhere, in little places, in our homes, loving our children, loving our wives, loving our husbands, loving our our communities, loving our workplace. This is the song we sing. Father, we love you. And I ask that as we walk out of here today, that we would not be satisfied with the old song anymore. And it's in seeing Jesus that we're actually stirred to love the new song more than the old. And if we're addicted to the old song, would you drop us little glimpses of why Jesus is worthy of changing our song? It's in your name we pray.